2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. He commands us in Matthew 6, 25-32 not to worry or to be anxious about anything. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all you need. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to him and to his kingdom standards. Well, we are Matthew 6, 25 to 32, and uh, it's uh, hard to believe that we've been in the Sermon on the Mount since uh, June, end of June. It's un unbelievable. We've never, ever st stuck to one passage of scripture for such a long period of time. But I've been getting a lot of very, very positive feedback, mostly. Uh, one or two are maybe disturbed by the seriousness of sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. But let me remind you that the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of God. It teaches us how to live. And, and because of this, it should cause great joy in our hearts, knowing that Jesus has not left us to try to figure all this out on our own. He has given us clear instructions as to how we should live on this earth until that day when he catches us up to be with him in glory. So here we are on that, that very powerful section uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle, and uh, we're calling the message today, do not worry. And obviously we're calling it that because that's what Jesus said, do not worry. Tim Newman, writing for uh, the Medical News Today, writes about the constant increase in our culture in, in terms of anxiety and worry. And uh, let me just uh, share this, this funny little cartoon. Uh, it's, it says, what if? And I guess you can fill that in any way you want. What if, what if our economy collapses? What if the sky falls? What if a what if a, a massive um, uh, meteorite hits the earth? What if? Um, folks, there are so many things that could happen and so many things that, that could fill our hearts with fear and with worry. One study published in the 1990s found that people who pursued money, looks, and status were more likely to feel anxious worried and depressed. Isn't that interesting? People who pursued money, looks, and status were more likely to feel anxious and depressed. Here's what Tim Newman continues to say. He says, humans in Western societies, that is the richest societies, are becoming more anxious because there is less pressure on us to survive now that food and water are so abundant. Our gaze has moved away from survival and shifted inward. We now focus on extrinsic 
desires, such as a new car, a big house, a big bank account, rather than intrinsic desires, such as the joy of family and friends and meeting with others in our community. One study looking at changes in college students' attitudes over a 40-year period found that the number of students who place importance on financial gains has almost doubled since the 1960s, whereas developing a meaningful philosophy of life has dropped in importance in a very dramatic way. So you get that, a shift away from the things that really matter, your relationships with your family, uh, joy, peace, a relationship with God perhaps, definitely a relationship with the people around you, with your community, with your church family. That has become number two. Number one is gathering wealth. Now you think about that for a moment. Jesus tells us exactly that. He says, in fact, that this is what the pagans do. This is what unbelievers or Gentiles do. They focus on stuff, on money, on possessions. We need to understand that the Sermon on the Mount commands us to live in this world free of anxiety. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, then you have to be aware of what the constitution of the kingdom tells us to do. In fact, what we begin to understand is that the kingdom of God is is not a kingdom of this world. The kingdoms of this world are, are completely removed and separate from the kingdom of God. There is no mixing. In fact, we read in uh, Jesus' great prayer in John chapter 17, he says, uh, he prays for his disciples who are in the world, but not of the world. Very important to get that. I think this is something that we have forgotten, especially in this generation. We have forgotten that although we as Christians live in this world, we're not of it. We don't, we don't function or think or operate the, wor- the way the world does. We are different people. So I'm, I, I want to ask you that question today. Are you, are you separated from the world or are you like the world? Well, Jesus gives us all kinds of examples in the Sermon on the Mount that help us understand what it means to be a real Christian, a real believer, somebody who truly trusts in God. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we live? How, how are we different? And we see in this passage of Scripture that a big difference between the believer and the unbeliever is that we don't worry. Christians do not worry. And this is the command of Christ, and it's something that that we live by. Now, the problem with this is, even as I say these words, I know full well that some of you listening to me right now are full of worry. You're full of fear. You're worried about maybe catching COVID-19. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about the future. You're worried about your children. You're worried about your food, your clothing, your shelter. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. We're going to talk today about how we can live a worry-free life. But first of all, we need to understand what the definition of worry is. So here's what, here's what you'll find if you Google worry uh, on the in Google. The definition of worry, very simply, is to give away, that is to surrender, 
to anxiety or unease. It's to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Did you get that? To give away or surrender to anxiety, to give way or surrender to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Jesus tells us how to live in a way that frees us from anxiety and the depression that is so often linked to worrying. So let me ask you that question right now. Are you full of, are you full of, of that sense of, of heaviness? You don't have a peace? You definitely don't have joy? Uh, I gotta tell you that peace and joy are the marks of, of the believer. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning you right now. You need to understand that. That's a wonderful thing about the word of God is it, it doesn't judge or condemn, but it, it shows us how to live. It shows us the path that we should take. And that's really what Jesus is doing in this passage of scripture, which you heard read just before I, was, I, I came on. We learn what it is to be carefree, worry-free, to have peace and joy in our lives. So, Jesus tells us how to live in a way that's free of worry and from anxiety. And so let's talk about that. And again, you've got your Bibles. Please uh, make sure you're looking with me at Matthew 6, 25, 34. And here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And when you read that, when you hear those words, you think, obviously, well, that's the truth, isn't it? Life is more than, my, than, than food or, uh, or clothing. I mean, really, it's, it's actually quite ridiculous when you think about how we get so caught up in that. But Jesus says, don't, don't worry. And this is the command. So I want to talk about that first of all. Do not worry about everyday life. This is a command. It's in the imperative. It clearly is, is instruction, not suggestion. Uh, too many people, when they read the Bible, they see it as a book full of suggestions. But it's not a suggestion book. The Sermon on the Mount is clear instructions as to how we ought to live. Jesus is telling us what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are not to worry. Do not worry. So let me ask you, are you worrying right now? Are you worrying about your future? Are you worrying about your job? Are you worrying about how all the details of the future are all going to fall into place? Some of you uh, are thinking about it nonstop. It's on your mind. It's in your heart. Your mind is clouded. You can't live today because you're living in the future. I got to tell you, that is, that is not the way that Christians live. We live today, now, in fellowship with Almighty God. God is at work in us. God is, is, is walking with us. And that's why we teach that habit, habit number one, a cross-church discipleship model. You need to have a daily walk with God where you're praying and you're reading your Bible every day. You have this relationship with him. The focus is on him. I'm going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But understand this. True godliness, true holiness, 
is worry-free living. Now, most people don't think of that. When you think about being holy, you think, well, I, I, don't, I don't drink, and I don't smoke, and I don't smoke pot, and I don't do drugs, and I don't have addictions. But Jesus is saying here that godliness is living worry-free. Now, that's, that's not on anybody's holiness list, is it? And yet, I'm going to tell you this. As we, as we focus on, on, on stuff, on food and drink and clothes, it's very easy for us to become fearful and worried. It becomes very easy for us to focus on stuff rather than on God. And that is sin. Think about that. It's sin to focus on stuff. Because what's happening now is that you are not trusting God. What is the great mark of Abraham when God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your, your, your home. I want you to leave your, the city of your birth and where you grew up, and I want you to leave there and go to the place where I'm going to show you. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, did what God said. He had no idea where he was going or exactly all the details surrounding this instruction from God, but he believed God and he did exactly what God was telling him to do today. Not worrying about the future, but concentrating on what God's saying today. Let the Spirit of God speak to you now, because this really is what faith is. We're not worried about the future. We're focused, rather, on today and what God's telling us today, to do today. Now, here's, here's what we read. Because Abraham believed God, God counted that to him as, as righteousness. When you trust God, when you believe God, when you put your total trust in him, God counts that to us as righteousness. And it's always been that way. Whenever you believe God and do what he says, that is what faith is. And that is where righteousness comes in. So in Abraham's case, God said, leave your homeland, go where I tell you to go. It took faith for Abraham to do that. And because he did that, God counted that as righteousness. And nothing has changed. Here we are, all these thousands of years later, and God tells us, put our faith in Jesus, to trust him, do what he says, and God will count that to us as righteousness. Now, stop and think about this. We're not talking about a religion now. We're talking about a relationship with God, and we are doing what our Father in heaven tells us to do. When you obey God, and when you do what God tells you to do, this is righteousness. The true godliness is choosing to live worry-free. It's refusing to give way. Remember our definition? Worry is giving way or surrendering to anxiety or unease. We refuse to give way to anxiety, and we refuse to allow our minds to dwell on difficulty. The beautiful picture, isn't it? And this is something that you choose to do. And I know some of you think, well, Pastor, how do you do that? I mean, I got so many things to worry about. I got my plans ahead of me. I'm, gonna, I'm getting married in the future. How am I going to deal with all this? How am I going to get all the details together? And Jesus would say to you, don't worry about it. It's all going to fall into place in due time. What you need to do is you need to trust God today, believe him, and do exactly what he tells you to do. Our faith is founded on that on this idea of believing God and doing what he says. So if you want salvation, you believe God and do what he says. What does he tell us to do? 
tells us to put our faith in his son and do whatever he says. And then all of life is like that. Every day when I meet with God in my devotions, I'm finding out what does God want me to do today? How does he want me to respond to what's going on around me? It's a beautiful picture. And when you do this, this is how you enjoy a worry-free life. Because now, rather than you being in control and making the decisions, you are allowing God to be in control. And now you're simply obeying him and following him and doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, we studied that in the Lord's Prayer earlier in chapter 6. Jesus tells us to pray that. Father, not my will, but your will be done, right? That's right. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we live. We believe God. We do what he says. You know, being a pastor is a really, really tough job. I got to tell you that. It's an extremely high level of responsibility. And this is why I say that having a sense of calling, feeling that you're called to ministry is absolutely key. It's critical. When we hired uh, Pastor Joel and Pastor Andrew, that was one of the questions I asked. And I, I, I explored that. I wanted to sort of dwell on that subject in, in the interview because I wanted to get a clear sense of my own heart that they really had a sense of calling because the ministry can be brutal. It's very difficult because of the high, high levels of responsibility that is upon the pastor. Whatever we say, whatever we do counts for eternity. And so we have to make sure that we get it right. You know, back uh, during the building program at Cross Church, back in the late 90s, 97 to 99, I was the pastor of, of, at that time it was called Western Gospel Church. I was a pastor of Western Gospel Church. In the meantime, uh, while we were doing this building program, which I was part of and managing and doing a lot of the work myself, I had also pioneered and was pastoring International Worship Center, a beautiful church that uh, is, uh, I think, predominantly Filipino. It's on St. James Street, and uh, beautiful, beautiful congregation and pastor. Um, but back then, I was doing it all, pastoring the two churches, doing the building program, and plus doing missions for, uh, for our district, uh, for our, our church district. And I'm going to tell you, it was so stressful and so busy, and I found myself getting in the habit of going to bed, thinking about all the things that had to be done and things that I, I need, problems I needed to solve. And I was in the habit now of going to bed worrying about stuff. Well, I remember one night um, I had forgotten something that I needed to worry about. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But I, re I distinctly remember laying there in my bed thinking, and what was, what was it that I was supposed to be thinking about and worrying about? And I, I literally laughed out loud. Um, I was thinking, I have so much to worry about that I'm worrying about forgetting stuff that I need to worry about, <laughs> if that makes sense. I was worrying about forgetting about stuff that I needed to worry about. It, it's insane. Hey, look, at, I'm not alone in this, but as I read that, I, um, or as I, as I thought about that and I wrote that down, I just, I just had to laugh at how silly we can be. We have a great big God who, who put together the, the, the whole universe and who created this earth and who created us. And surely, if God can keep the universe going, he can keep your life going. The, 
The thing you have to do, however, is you've got to get your focus off of yourself, off of your issues, your problems, your difficulties, and all the things that stress you out, like having enough food and enough drink and enough clothes, or get your eyes off of this, and you need to focus on God. Some of you don't even know you're worrying. And let me just share with you some of the symptoms of worrying. First of all, uh, overeating or eating junk food. Uh, some people call it comfort eating, eating food that makes you feel better. Uh, for me, I love a big bowl of popcorn with tons of butter on it and barbecue flavoring. I could eat that, I could eat that for breakfast, lunch, and supper. But I know full well it's not what I need to be doing. Another symptom of worrying is sleeplessness. Allowing your mind to dwell on, on to have enough food, enough drink, enough clothes to wear. And, and you know, the list goes on about your job, about your kids, about your car. It's not gonna, is it going to start in the morning? Uh, I literally have laid awake at night thinking about that. Is the car going to start in the morning? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Ridiculous. For some people, it's addiction. You have allowed yourself to become worried and, and you use addictions. We, sometimes it's called medicating, self-medicating. You medicate against this so that you can get on with your life. Um, that's not what God wants. And if that's what's going on in your life, then you need to deal with it. You need to see what's going on. You need to see that your, your focus is off of God. Another symptom is getting, becoming cranky, getting cranky with your kids or your wife or your friends. And, uh, you know, it, it's so easy, isn't it, to, to allow worry to destroy our relationships. Uh, last week, or last three weeks, we talked about, about money. And two weeks ago, we talked about the, the, uh, the generous eye versus the evil eye. The generous eye has a worldview that says, uh, I'm going to be generous, believing that God's going to provide for me, meet all my needs, even as I try to help and meet the needs of others. The evil eye, or the stingy eye, is what, is what that means, leaves you becoming very stingy. If you're worried about money, then you become stingy. That's a sign. You're not tithing, you're failing to give. You're, it means you're not trusting God, you're worrying about your future. And I'm going to tell you, that is sin. That's what Jesus tells us clearly. Do not worry about everyday life. Do what God says. Believe God and do what he says. Another symptom of worrying is that you're fixated on your money and on your stuff and your things. Very easy, isn't it? I always say that our possession, we don't own our possessions, our possessions own us. Because as soon as you got them, what do you have to do? You've got to get a security system. You have to put a roof over it. You've got to heat it. You've got to protect it. You've got to, you got to lovingly care for it. Another sign of worrying in your life is you can't relax. You can't take it easy. You can't talk to people. You have no time to listen to your kids. You have no time to You're cranky. You don't want to listen to your wife. You don't want to listen to your husband, whatever the case may be. And finally, you, uh, you become more self-centered. Think about that. Are you more self-centered? If you're not sure whether you're more self-centered, ask your wife or your, or your husband or your kids. They'll tell you the truth. But give them permission to tell you the truth. And when they tell you the truth, don't get angry. Worry, being anxious, is not an option for the believer. 
Let me just quickly read for you again that definition of worry. Worry is to give way or surrender to anxiety or unease. It's to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. What is your mind dwelling on right now? At night, in the morning, during the day. The Bible tells us clearly that our minds, our hearts need to dwell on God. What I want to do here is I want to go back to that word therefore. In hermeneutics, we learn that whenever you see a therefore in a passage, you need to see what it's there for. Last week, we talked about the two, the two masters. There's God as master and there is mammon or money. And here's what Jesus says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wow. Jesus, as he's preaching here, by the time we get to this, to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is assuming that those who are listening to him are wise enough to reject the false god mammon. He's, he's assuming that the people who are listening to him preach are going to serve God only. That's why he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. He's assuming that the people who are listening to him speak are going to follow the path that he is showing them. It's a superior path. I'll tell you this, mammon... Remember, a Syrian god of wealth and riches? Became, Mammon became the word for wealth and money. This false god will promise you that if you have him, if you have that god in your life, if you have money, then you'll be happy. And all of us know, at least intellectually, that this is a lie. We understand that that's not how it works. We know lots of wealthy people who are very, very unhappy. The god Mammon will tell you that if you have him in your life, if you have money, then you will have all that you need. You will be worry-free, and in fact, you will even have an increased self-esteem. You just have more money. And Jesus is saying, wrong. That's not how it works. That's not what's going to give you joy. It's not what's going to give you peace. Mammon, by the way, in case you don't know yet, is Satan. Satan knows how to get a hold of our hearts. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We know the way he works. He appeals to our greed. He appeals to our desire for security. And he tells us that if we have money, if we have mammon, then we'll be happy. I remind you, Jesus himself called Satan the father of lies. He is a deceiver. That's what his name means. If you put your hope in money, then you lose everything. But if you put your hope in God, God blesses you and you have everything. I'm going to tell you this doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but to those whose hearts have been transformed by the power of the gospel, by, for those who have put their faith in Christ, you know that what I'm saying is truth. And it's not just because I'm saying it but because that's what Jesus tells us. Life is not about stuff. Life is not about things. Life, in case you don't know, is about putting your faith in God. 
Jesus himself calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. If you want life, if you want abundant life, if you want eternal life, if you want a new life, then you put your faith in Christ and you start living according to the constitution of the kingdom of God. It means you're no, no longer of this world. You're in it, but you're not of it anymore. It means that you now are living according to the word of God. Now, again, let me just remind you of that definition. Worry to give way or surrender to anxiety or unease. Some of you even now uh, have surrendered to anxiety and worry. In fact, your whole life is absolutely controlled by your anxiety. To worry is to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. So here's what, here's what Jesus tells us in, uh, in verses 31 to 33. He says, uh, don't, so, or 32, pardon me. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? So that's not now the thing that's going to define your life. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Isn't that interesting? Now, if, you're, if you've got the King James Bible, it'll, say, it'll probably say Gentiles. Uh, in some versions, it says the pagans or the heathen. <laughs> these things dominate the thoughts of the heathen, the pagans. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Think about that for a moment. That's a powerful thought. What should dominate our thoughts? Well, very, clean, very plainly, very clearly, the thing that should dominate our thoughts is God himself, not mammon, not stuff, not things, not possessions, not wealth, not riches, but God. For those who are unbelievers, those who don't know Christ, their mind is dominated by what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, by stuff, by things. And Jesus says, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a member of the kingdom of God, then what's going to dominate your heart, dominate your mind, is God himself. God's kindness and his faithfulness to you and to all his people will dominate your thoughts. And that's what you need to do. When Jesus says, in verse 25, do not worry. Don't be anxious about anything. You need to do something else. That's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He doesn't just say, don't, don't, don't. He says, do, do, do. Ever see that? It's not a matter of what you don't do. It's a matter of what you do. What you're doing is you're trading in your old life for a new life. Remember Jesus, the very first thing it says in Matthew 4, that Jesus came preaching repentance, that the kingdom of God is here, therefore repent. You're changing your old way of life to a new way of life. Your old way of living was to be dominated by what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The new way of life, you repented, you're changing your direction, and now you are, you are dominated by thoughts of God himself and his kindness to you. Beautiful, isn't it? You're literally, this is literally what you're doing. You're being reminded of how good God is. You know, besides the law being given in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is important to us because it, it reveals who God is. If you never had a New Testament, you would still 
discover through the Old Testament, you discover a loving God in heaven who loves his people. And we see that throughout, throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I encourage you as you're reading through your Bible to start underlining those verses that talk about the goodness and the kindness of God. That, that God is, is the provider. He is uh, uh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. In Genesis 2, God gives the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, God tells of the coming of the Messiah. We call that the Proto-Evangelium. The first, the first mention of the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 6, God provides a way of escape from the flood. See, we see God as a provider. Genesis 37 to 50, God provides a savior for Israel. His name is Joseph, a favorite son of Jacob. And through Joseph, Israel during the great famine is given a home and given a provision in Egypt. Exodus 2, God provides a savior for Egypt in the name by the name of Moses. You know that story. Israel is being dominated by Pharaoh. They've been turned into slaves. The people of Israel cry out to God. God, you provided for us in the past, and now we are slaves, and now we're being brutally treated. Help us, Lord. That's exactly what, what God does. Isn't that neat that the children of Israel, rather than focusing on Pharaoh and their great disaster, they focus on the one who can deliver him. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to you there. This is what we do as Christians. We focus on God, not on what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear. We focus on God, and God provides Moses for the children of Israel. Exodus 4 to 15, God delivers Israel. You know the story how God sends the plagues and Israel is literally kicked out of Egypt. And not just kicked out of Egypt, but actually Israel plunders. It says Israel plunders Egypt and takes gold, I mean, untold amounts of gold and provision. And then by Exodus 16 to 17, we see God providing manna, quail, and water in the wilderness. And then Exodus 19 to 39, God provides his laws and his holy standards, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 40, God dwells among his people in the tabernacle. They see the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. By Numbers 14, we see God caring for his people in the wilderness for 40 years. Even though they they sinned against God, God says, I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to continue to love them. Oh, yes, they're going to have to go through a time of of discipline, but I'm not going to give up on my dear, beloved children. And... God loves them and cares for them throughout their time in the wilderness. It's a beautiful picture. And then God finally brings his people back to the very gates of the promised land. And he gives them the promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham hundreds of years before is now being claimed by the offspring of Abraham. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you now because it's critical that you and I understand that our obedience must be to God and God alone. If you are embracing mammon right now, I guarantee you you're in trouble. I guarantee that you are overwhelmed by, by fear, by worry about your finances, about the future. You're overwhelmed by that. 
But if your focus is on Christ alone, then your heart is filled with joy. This is exactly why God reminds the children of Israel to keep telling their children so that every generation hears the wonderful stories of God's provision for his people. You see, by nature, we forget. We forget when God is kind to us yesterday. God's good to us. He provides for us. He meets our needs yesterday. By today, we're forgetting about it. And this is why God says, don't forget. Keep remembering. Keep reminding each other. And especially, keep telling your kids. Keep telling them the wonderful stories of God's provision in the past. And what God did yesterday, he will do today. We find the apostle Paul picking up on this theme in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. I love what he says in in verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Did you hear that? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about that. Your mind must be must be taken off the eating, the drinking, and the wearing, and it needs to focus on God. That's what Paul's saying here in Philippians 4, chapter, uh, verse 8. Think about God. Think about his faithfulness. Think about the wonderful ways that he's provided for you. This is how Gloria and I live, and it, it, took, it took some time to get in the habit of not worrying and learning to trust God by looking to him and to him alone. I'm going to close with these, uh, these two verses that precede Philippians 4, 8. And it's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. And Paul says, tell God what you need. And then thank him for all that he's done. This is how you and I overcome worry in our lives. Rather than worrying about it, we pray about it, we tell God exactly what we need, and then we thank him. And don't forget, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that God knows what we need before we even ask him. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Father, give us this day our daily bread. And Israel learned that By receiving manna every single day, God will provide for his people every day. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Wow. And this peace exceeds anything that we can understand. it's, It's supernatural. It's not of this world. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to close with that. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, but you got to get your focus off of things, off of stuff, off of the future, off of the things that you are worried about, and your focus now needs to be on God alone. Get your eyes off of mammon. Get your eyes onto God. Remember, he's your God. He's your Father in heaven. He loves you, and he will not fail you. My God shall supply all my needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said 2,000 years ago, and it still stands. All that we need is provided for, for us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that through Christ, we have all that we need. We thank you, O oh God, that we have nothing to worry about. Forgive us, we pray, for worrying. And help us to trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, make sure that you remind each other in your home. Remind your friends. Remind everybody that you know loves Jesus. Remind them to get their eyes off of their problems of things and get their eyes fixed on Jesus. To do what? To tell God what you need and then thank him. Thank him for his provision and he will provide. That's his promise. And his promises are 100%. You can go to the bank on it. God bless you. Have a great day. Oh,